Hello and welcome to Two Fat Expats. My name's Kirsty Rice. So how are you, Nikki Moffat? How's life in downtown Bagara? I'm fine, thank you, Kirsty Rice. It's a little bit windy, I have to say. So if you can hear some windy sounds, it's it's very hard in our in our apartment to find somewhere without the sound of the whistling wind. Mm. But there is sunshine and lovely white caps on the ocean. So uh, I'm not complaining. No no complaints here. Okay, so this week on the podcast, we've got a couple of questions. One of which, well, which one would you like to do first, yours or mine? Well, let's go with yours, Kirsty, because we posted it in the group yesterday when we first started discussing it, and it's since generated a lot of discussion. And I'm so, (laughs) so pleased because when you raised it as a question, I was a little bit indignant, but now I'm totally on board. <laughs> okay, so I guess a bit of background to to the question and why you and I uh, get a kick out of it is, you know, Nikki, I have been writing about being an expat uh, woman, I guess, for since 2009, so that's quite some time ago. And one of the things that comes up a lot when you write about being an expat or particularly an expat woman or particularly somebody who maybe the reason you're traveling is your partner's career doesn't mean you don't have a career it just means that their career is the one that got you know got the visa to go to the particular place and you are accompanying that person uh, to go along with them but there is a term that came out I think it was in the 80s and I reckon I read somewhere that it was first used in the wall in the Wall Street Journal I think that's correct that rings a very big bell in my head so the phrase that was used was trailing spouse and (laughs) (laughs) I spit on you Kirsty I spit on you you do and and you know none of us none of us of my generation Really loved it that much. Um, It used to. It was a phrase that used to come out because, of course, the corporate world loved it because all of a sudden it 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 gave them a term, you know, that they could use when when talking a bingo word. Yes, a bingo word, and and none of us really loved it, but for it was really that whole for want of a better term. Now, I for a long time just went along with the thing. Well. My husband's an expat. I'm an expat. We decided to go on this journey together. We're both expats. Anyway, Nikki, you and I both really dislike the term trailing spouse greatly. And, and Nikki, I think maybe you could explain why you don't like it and what, what has been your mission within our Two Fat Expats group. Well, for some time, I, well, for, I've, for always, I've not liked the term. I think we certainly did move overseas for my husband's job, but as soon as we moved, I had gainful employment as well. And so I didn't consider myself to be trailing anywhere. I considered mm. myself to be there mm. you know, and be my own person. And so I've always had an issue with it. And then in the group, when it was mentioned, I've been politely asking people for probably the last two or three years if they would re if they would change the language in their posts because changing in language has to start somewhere and we've decided at one of the biggest um globally mobile groups on the internet on facebook that we should start with us and so that's really what it's about for me is that language changes we don't use terms now that we used 30 and 40 years ago for lots of other things yes so 
there's no reason, and that is how long ago it is. The 80s is 40 years ago. Yeah. So that that <laughs> so that is how long ago it was coined as a term. And we can, I think that a globally mobile society has come a long way in the last 40 years as well. So I think that there there is ample positive approaches to change the terminology involved. That's right. And and just to be clear, because you know, we've had a few people say, but it's only a word and it's only a phrase. And but you are trailing because that's what you do. And there's no need to be ashamed of that phrase because it's a good thing that you're the one that holds it all together. Blah 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 blah. So let's let's just be clear on what the actual true definition of trailing is. And the Oxford Dictionary will tell you that if you are trailing, you are drawn along behind someone or something. And I don't want to be uh, perceived as drawn along behind someone or something. I want to be seen as making a decision jointly together alongside someone that that I made that decision together as a partnership. And that is why I think, Nikki, as of today, we are saying that the phrase will be, you are an accompanying spouse. You are accompanying someone side by side. That's what we're doing here. We're not trailing. We're accompanying. We're a team. We're doing it together. Just to me, that language just has a far kinder representation but a more factual representation of what it really is yeah no I agree and when people say oh but you're doing all these things that's why you're traveling you're doing all these things that's why you're accompanying the person couldn't do that by themselves you're there with them doing those things and together you're a team you know they don't just hand things over their shoulder to you you're up there, you're taking the lead on a lot of things in a lot of situations. No matter when you're listening to this podcast, this is the date from which we will not <laughs> allow ourselves to be deviated from our um, our plan, which is to change the terminology and the language used around people traveling together as partners to another country. Yes. Now, apologies for the Labradoodle who's barking at the front gate. Nikki, there is a question in all of this, but we have yes. to kind of explain the backstory of why you and I got a giggle out of it and what has sort of come from it. So I was watching the uh, David Beckham doco, which uh, I heard someone else say, which is actually the Posh Spice doco with, with too much football. But I don't think it is because I think Posh Spice will eventually have her very her own. own uh, yes, doco. correct. But I totally understand why there was a David Beckham doco because uh, he he he's just never going to disappear, is he? He's always going to be around. He was at, did I tell you, he's at Formula One in Doha the other day. Yes. And then, of course, he was at Qatar. He was at the uh, World Cup and he was ambassador for the World Cup, but he owns football teams. He's done all sorts. But... Watching the documentary, I had never, ever thought of David and Victoria as expats. It had never crossed my mind. I I guess I knew in my head that they kind of were because he'd gone and played uh, football slash soccer, depending on which side of the world you live on. But he had played football in different countries, but I'd never really thought about, oh, they're actually expats. And I think what became really clear when you were watching this doco was 
I started to kind of feel or even identify a little bit with her and a lot of people are going to say well you can't do that because they had lots of money and they had lots of help and they had lots of assistance and whatever it doesn't matter the basics are still the same you still feel like a fish out of water you still second guess your move you're still wondering about whether you've done the right thing for your kids you could tell that she was very very concerned about schooling for her kids and housing for yeah, her kids. you still have to find a new coffee shop and a new hairdresser and a new Friend. or a new group of girlfriends you still have to find all those things and it might be said it's a little bit harder for Bosch to find a new friend because who knows what the motivation is <laughs> of people befriending her yes yeah. we actually had someone in the group that be, had been on a plane with Posh and Specs did you yeah that was a great story yes I think I just called them posh and specs um that was posh and becks uh, that was a great story wasn't it but the, this person had kind of explained that they'd been on a plane with them and that they'd all come on in this huge entourage you know kids them whatever and that she was mini skirt boots you know fancy top big glasses the whole thing and he was tracksuit pants <laughs> And a jumper. But then once they were on the plane, she was all of it off, all of the makeup off, trackies on, uh, had a little nap on the plane, whatever. But then it all came back on as they got off the plane. Um, God, what a, exhausting. But anyway, Nikki, my question was, because you too have watched the David Beckham, was she a trailing spouse? <laughs> Well, in the 1980s, she was the very definition of a trailing spouse. Yes. Um, but and then the corporate would have looked at her and said, what are we going to do with Posh? <laughs> <laughs> what allowances is Posh going to have? What support is Posh going to have? How are we going to help set Posh up? Yes. Because we want to keep the, you know, happy, happy wife, happy life. Yes. Happy wife, happy life. So even though that's very sexist and dated as well as a phrase, but it's still Mm. bangs around the groups so yes I think I mean Posh was an accompanying spouse a little bit reluctantly I would say doesn't mm. make her trailing it just makes her reluctant two separate things <laughs> uh, <laughs> just for everyone saying but ah see exactly yeah. uh, and I think you know she very I mean she still had to find schools for four, her four kids you know to yeah. make sure that they were the right fit uh, and you've done that and had to deal with the emotions of four kids, you know, moving to a new country and all the things that involves finding new sports, finding new things for them to do, finding new friends. You know, they all had to make new friends. Yeah, and I think that the, the thing that I found really interesting uh, was when they were in Spain, just that level of attention and paparazzi and just what those kids had to go through getting in and out of the car to get to school, to and from school, etc. Yeah. And then her happiness, because people can't say she was a bitter and twisted uh, expat or accompanying spouse because she she was very happy once they got to the US and very happy with the lifestyle that the kids, there was a big long driveway to get to the school so the kids could go to school with privacy, that she felt the schooling was really good. She thought the lifestyle was good. She um, really started to enjoy it. She just got the house set up. She liked where they lived. They made great friends. Um, because Tomcat threw them a party. Yes, Tomcat. <laughs> um, I loved Donna in our group said, uh, I'm just trying to work out why Tom Cruise didn't <laughs> didn't organise a party for me when I moved to the States. 
notes, which I thought was very funny. But, but yeah, it's typical of an expat, right? So mm. you move to a new location and it's easier to fit in. You find things you like more easily. You know, like there are more easy and more difficult locations and it's all about age and stage. Her kids mm. were a little bit older. You know, it, it was perhaps a language thing, although I was very impressed with Beck's use of Spanish extensive use of Spanish in yes. the uh, documentary. Yeah. But, you know, like it's it's a whole set of different set of issues, but she still had to go through them all. And I and she found her, you know, her mojo work-wise and things like that. She was enjoying the project she was working on when she was in the state. So it's a whole different, yes. you know, situation. It's exactly like your accompanying spouse. Yeah. Not every country is perfect. Not every country is your favorite. Yeah. Even though you don't have a favorite, you just have different ones. Um, And so, you know, I I think she was just, to me, it was so relatable. Yeah. And I wonder when you, when you haven't had that experience, when you're watching it, do you actually pick that up in the documentary? Do you actually have those feels about that? Yes. I, I, I thought so much of what she said was highly relatable and especially when because you you see that David Beckham always appears to be this easygoing, you know, kind of he makes a lot of jokes about his own intelligence. He'll tell you that yep. he wasn't very bright at school, that, you know, he talks about the way he speaks, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I still speak exactly the same. She's changed, you know, blah, blah, blah. But the thing you realise is that David Beckham was looking after David Beckham and that he was number one in he he was the main character of of that yep. family story, and uh, I think we all maybe got a little bit distracted by you know too posh to push and the non smiling and the um, the star. But then you realise, well, she kind of gave up a lot when she had babies, and she gave up a lot to travel with him, uh, which you know she never once sort of talks about what what that did to her or what what that meant to her but I thought it was really uh, the phrase she used that I found the most relatable because he just seems like such a nice guy right and so you you can tell that it would have been so frustrating because you're with the such a nice guy that's just doing what David's doing but when she said oh you know and I he said we were moving home and you know that we were going to do this and she goes and then he pulled a David Beckham and he told her we're going to move in 12 hours time you know we're going to move yeah um, <laughs> to Italy yeah to Italy <laughs> which is as we know from our friends in the group the Fatarati it's not the easiest place in the world to move to no. particularly probably not at 12 hours notice no um, and so, um, but the way she said it in such an endearing way when she said he pulled a David Beckham, and I think we've, we've, you know, many of us have been there where someone has come home and said, uh, you know, maybe something like we're moving to Libya um, probably in the next two weeks and you're nine and a half months <laughs> pregnant. Um, yeah. just, just as an example, just, just that you just example. pulled out of yeah, I thin just, air there. just got that one. I'm not sure where that came from. But, yeah, and so I think there was a lot of that that you could. And I think it's really um, the way that we judge people for money. When When I see people 
in our group, people who should know better, who say, um, oh, yeah, but they had heaps of money and she didn't have to do all those things. She wasn't doing her own tax. She wasn't, you know, setting up her own electricity. She wasn't doing whatever. No, she wasn't. And we saw by that paparazzi, she would have had no hope of doing that even if she really, really wanted to do that. Can we not feel remotely sorry for someone that has lots of money or is that just you you get zero sympathy? Yeah, it's up and down, right? It it really depends who you are and and how the sentiment's going, moving with you or against you. Yes. Um in yes. today's world. Yes. But but I would have to say that uh, another thing that expats should be thankful for to the Beckhams is the special rule in Spain that they yes. changed the laws. So now expats are thankful to David Beckham because now they can live there for five years and pay less tax than Spanish people as long as they leave. Yes. Uh, under five years. So Yes. And it's actually called, is it not called the Beckham Law? I, I believe it called. is. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure someone said it is known as the Beckham Law because it was the law that was changed when David Beckham came to play football. They had to adjust their tax laws. A lot of European countries do have it where mm. if you live there for a short amount of time, they do it to to bring talent into the country and transfer skills. Yes. So they want to bring you in, but then they don't want to keep you because if you stay, then you should be paying the same as everybody else. So they yes. want to bring you in, get your skills, and then you decide whether you stay and pay the increased tax rates or you decide if you, if you move on, et cetera. So yes. for sure, that's how a lot of people go to Denmark. Don't stay longer than seven years in Denmark, same situation. Yes, yes, very similar in Amsterdam as well. I absolutely loved the docker. I think I should be very clear. We all know when we watch these docos that they are just massive forms of propaganda and PR stunts, you know. We know that that's the case. We know that if we watch anything of that, whether it's going to be Jason Kelsey, or Michael Jordan, or <laughs> Tiger <you> Woods, <laughs> or whatever. If we're watching any of those things, it is a PR. Like nobody's going to come off looking badly at the end of that. You know, it's just not going to work out for Amazon Prime or Netflix. So we understand what we've watched and what the purpose of it was, but we can still appreciate that it was very much a little feel good. The dancing at the end when they did the little islands in the stream. Yes. Oh, very yeah. good. The whole thing was brilliant and it, over two or three years. So it, it really did incorporate a lot of their lives. And yes. um, no, I, I enjoyed it. I could have watched more. Like people said it was long. I was like, I didn't think it was long. Oh, I no. could have kept watching. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. The perfect. Are we having a sports resurgence, Nikki, or or is it just that people have worked out how to make sports documentaries for non-sports I think it people? is, yeah, for, for mainstream. Yeah. So I think that that's a thing. So I think there's always been sports documentaries, but they haven't always been popular in the mainstream because they've been quite specialised around the sport yeah. and yeah. people had to appreciate the sport and what it took to be the top of the sport for them to enjoy the documentary kind of sort of yes um but then they've picked these people who are sort of transcending sp- their sport yes and they've and they've made it a documentary because everyone would watch a Michael Jordan documentary even if he didn't like basketball, so to speak. One of the things I really, really liked about the doco was how they watched him watching his games and they did yes. it in a way that his face was full screen so that you could see every movement and recognition yes. as he watched a game unfold, which is fabulous. 
Okay, so I think we've we've covered posh spice and what she's talking about there, and we've decided no more use of the term trailing spouse <laughs> in the Two Fat Experts Facebook group. Go on. Thank you very much. I'm very happy about that, as you know. Yes. Um, my question to you, Kirsty, is what yes. do you do when everyone has an opinion about where you live as an expat but they've never been there? Mm-hmm. For example, you know, people put posts in the group about moving to X, Y, or Z, and people who have never lived there make a comment. Mm -hmm. It's not a great place for you or it's not a great place for this or it's not a great place for that. Mm -hmm. And and I personally have experienced it. So when we lived, when we were moving to South Africa, everybody questioned our decision about that. You know, what are you doing? How could you put your children in danger? And, Mm -hmm. you know, having never, a lot of them having never lived there. Yeah, and also when we when we lived in America, every time there's a school shooting, people mm-hmm. would ring up and say, "Well, it's time to come home." And I used to think that was the funniest thing because I was like, "Well, we didn't come here from home in next one." <laughs> I was like, "So why would we go home now?" Like it just was yes. just kind of a weird thing, you know, that people just have these. Okay, it's time. You know, I am watching this from afar, and I've decided. Yes. this is the answer to that question. Yeah. Yes. I do. And I've noticed it a lot more lately because people do stand on pedestals a lot more and, and don't and feel that they know a lot more about what it's like to live somewhere without having been there. I'm not sure is that is that because of social media? Is that because we're all supposedly more educated through um, you know, access to seeing things? But I I have really noticed Saudi Arabia in many different groups that I'm in. If, if someone says, I wonder what it's like to live in Saudi as a woman, and then automatically, you know, 10 different women stand up to say, no, 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 you don't want to live there. You don't want to live there. They're, they have terrible, terrible, you know, human rights violations and the way they treat women is terrible. But none of those people are actually living in Saudi or have lived in Saudi that are offering the advice. So... I, you know, we are big in our group, Nikki, that when we ask a question, we say, we will say, for those of you who are currently living in Houston or have lived in Houston, could you please offer this advice? And so maybe that's why I feel very strongly that those who have not lived in Saudi, when I asked a question about living in Saudi, should not comment on living in Saudi, but maybe they should, maybe I've got that all wrong. Um, what do you think? I find it really difficult too because I off I know personal stories about friends of mine not in Saudi but living in different countries and different places. And when someone asks a question, I will often say, "Oh, you know." I, I will often think, "Oh, well, my friend said this," but yes. of course, it's my secondhand story about yes. my friend yeah. who's relating their experience to me, and I'm putting my own spin on it. What how what I heard coming in to me, you know, like so it's 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 already second or third hand if I'm relaying it back to somebody else. So, yeah, I mean, I think we don't stop conversations. We can still talk about you know politics yes. and religion as long as my husband's not around because he doesn't let me do that but you know, <laughs> apart from that but you know like those conversations can still happen but if you put it out there on social media you know I want to know about this can anyone help me I think someone who's never lived there you're probably going to rate their opinion less but but the thing is is that you don't know so people say oh that's a terrible place to live but give no context no or 
so you know it's it's really hard so i and you know from time to time many of us i'm sure people listening here have lived in a place and something's happened and people around them not in the country have had very strong ideas and opinions about it and they've felt almost at a loss trying to explain it to other people trying to say you know like that's not really what's happening Mm. but it's it's to do with you know your experience and and how it's portrayed in the media in different countries and different places you know there's there's lots and lots of different sort of inputs to it yeah so I think that you know it's really a tricky a tricky thing to do so I would say that's one of the things that frustrates me at the moment about social media is that you know people say what about this and 10 people who've got no experience will comment and that's like that's par for the course everybody knows that you just got to read the comment section of any (laughs) anything anywhere but I like to think that in our group in the Fatarati because we do have so many experienced people in so many places that the people that comment are doing it from a place of experience yes yeah yeah and that they would be guided gently if they weren't um yes I think I think, Nikki, you're right. And the other thing that people need to realise is sometimes when you live somewhere as an expat, it is a very different experience than living there as a local. And you could try your very hardest to live as a local when you're an expat and it might take you 20 years to really live as a local. You know, you're not going to get a window into what that's like. But also there are different rules. Do you know, I think I, th- I think this is a good example uh, Nikki, I went to Bahrain a few weeks ago to see a girlfriend of mine. She is blonde, blue-eyed, lives in Saudi. As she drives a car, she works, she uh, loves living in Saudi, absolutely loves it. Uh, she prefers living in Saudi to living in Qatar because she feels that she has more Saudi friends and more a closer relationship with Saudi people. She likes that she goes to the souk and she talks to um, people from Saudi and buys things from Saudis, who um, things that are made by Saudis, whereas Qatar it can be a little bit more removed because it's the richest country in the world. You don't tend to meet Qatari taxi drivers or Qatari shopkeepers, right? Yeah. They're all and what people say about Oman too. Yes. Is they love it because there's Omanis everywhere, and that's yes. part of the process. You can really yes. immerse yourself. And this is not a, an ad for the Middle East. No, this is no, just, no, no. This and is so, just to say that you know, these experiences do happen. And I guess what I wanted to say is my girlfriend's experience in Saudi is an expat experience. It's not yes. a local experience. She's not a local Saudi woman. She doesn't have, you know, her parents there to tell her what their thoughts are on what she should do or whether she should drive or whether she should be out and about or whether she should work or whatever. I have no idea. I don't have any Saudi friends. So I can't I can't comment on what it's like to live in Saudi as a person who is from Saudi. But yeah. I, I've I've now got three girlfriends living in Saudi. They've all got different scenarios. They've all got different lives there. You know, they all you would get three very different stories, but they're all okay. Um, so yeah, but I, but you know, it's this fear, Vicky, isn't it, of the unknown? I have a child at the moment who is currently, you know, riding around on a camel in Egypt, and I've had a lot of people say to me, "Is it safe for her to be there?" And as a mother, I've been like, 
I don't even know if I'm really believing what I'm saying when I'm saying, yeah, I think she's fine, you know, because as yeah. when it's your child, you're just like, yes. I tell you, she's on a plane out of there tonight and I cannot wait for her to be out of there. But at the same, in the same breath, I have loved all the videos of her at the pyramids and her on the Nile and her doing all of that. I've loved that because what, you know, who wouldn't want to see that for their child, right? But I'm also incredibly scared. But I think... It's what we see on the news. It's what it's how hyped up something is. It's how much information you have. You've got to you've got to rely on people on the ground. When when my daughter was going to Egypt, I rang my girlfriend or I messaged my girlfriend in Cairo and said, "Would you would you have your child come to Egypt now? You know what what do you think?" And uh, this person is very experienced. They're an American married to an Egyptian. And uh, they they said, you know, I'm monitoring it closely, but right now everything's fine. I think it's very frustrating. And the America thing, you know, we had the same thing when people talk about they decide that, you know, that those that the gun situation and, and, you know, I know that you feel very strongly about the gun situation and you feel very strongly about protecting your kids, but at the same stage we've all li- – I lived in Canada and they used to have um, those um, same drills and whatever yeah. and, uh, you know, those, those – Running dr- zigzags, kids, running zigzags. Oh, yeah. Towards yeah. the fence line. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. It's living there, right? Like so – you know, I mean, so many people have contacted us or me this week and said uh, about the referendum, it must be a terrible place to live now because mm. you voted no. Mm. But, you know, Australia is still the same as it was the day before we had the referendum. <laughs> now we just know what everybody thinks. It hasn't actually changed, but people's perceptions change depending on what's reported at any given place or date or time. Mm. So, yeah. Yes, yes. Okay. Okay, let's talk about fun things now, Kirsty. What are your three <laughs> favourite things this week? Okay, my favourite things. I've got a movie that I absolutely loved, Nikki. It was just one of those movies that got me in at all, all the best bits, which I will explain. It's called Somewhere in Queens. Remember Ray Romano from Everyone uh, Loves you? Raymond? Raymond, So yeah. it's a Ray Romano movie. Uh, his wife is played by Laurie Metcalf. So they are Leo and Angela Russo. So they live the classic Italian uh, life in Queens, big Italian loud family, lots of family get-togethers, you know, temping, bowling, pasta eating, everybody works together, you know, the, that, that sort of stereotype of the overbearing sort of Italian-American family. They have a son called Styx um, who I I don't know if we're ever told uh, whether he was selectively mute as a child or he just found words hard, but he is a boy of few words. So when you sort of see Styx, he's very quiet in amongst this loud, loud, you know, American family. And uh, But he's very good at basketball and he's not very good as in he's going to go off and get a scholarship at a major major university and be a superstar he's good as in he goes to a an everyday American high school and he might get to go to one of the smaller you know colleges if he can get get the scholarship and that that was one of my favorite things about this movie was it was very real like there was a scene where uh 
the um Ray and Laurie are walking down the street and I was looking at it going, they just look so ordinary, like so much like one of us in that they've got jeans on that aren't designer jeans and they're not fitted exactly. You know how sometimes, you know how you can watch an American movie and Nicole Kidman or or whoever is wearing jeans and a white shirt, but somehow their jeans just look absolutely amazing and yeah. their white shirt looks absolutely amazing and, you know, everything looks a little bit sort of Ralph Lauren or whatever. Well, this isn't that. You're looking at them going, yeah, they're a bit Dagsville. You know, they're just, they're just, uh, it's just been done so well. It has a beautiful ending. So without, uh, you know, the no spoiler alerts, but sticks, um, uh, has a love interest and the dad just gets a little bit too involved because he's trying so hard for everything to work out for his child. But it's got a really beautiful, beautiful ending that will suck you in. And so, yes, uh, Somewhere in Queens. The second thing I watched, which I think you can watch on Amazon Prime or you can watch other movies, it's called Blackberry. Uh, it's a Canadian movie. It's just come out in 2023. Uh, it's, uh, they call it a comedy drama, but it is the story of Blackberry. It's adapted from the book called Losing the Signal, which is a, a book about the rise and fall of Blackberry. Um, it's Nikki, you and I, this is our generation, right? So it's one of those nineties. Yes, 90s... we, we were the first people that used Blackberries at yes. work. Blackberries came into being while we were in young professionals in the workplace. Yes, and remember we used them so much we called them crackberries because we yes. were so addicted to using them. But they felt so good in your hands because they had these lovely little buttons and you used them with your thumbs and they were yeah. so much more satisfying than typing on a on a screen, weren't they? It's weird, right, because we were addicted to them and we had them in our hands all the time, but they were only for work. Yes. And snake. Work and snake. That's basically it. And messenger. Um, I used to message my work buddies at night um, sort of about things that were going on at work. But, yeah, they were very much an email slash messenger. And, Nikki, this is where it is so fascinating. So the story is brilliant in that it's the whole odd couple uh, story of the two guys that started Blackberry. One's the tech, one's the marketing. Foosball in the office. We're all so cool and groovy. We're all having a good time. We do movie nights on Fridays. That whole wholesome, nerdy, nerdy, nerdiness yeah. that we've got to keep and it's such a great place to work. Remember when Google first started and Google was that yeah. sort of place? You know, we're all on our tricycles, zooming around, having uh, you know, smarties and going on the slides. You're going on the slides and doing whatever. So you really get the feel for that of that the tech team who are trying to um build Blackberry, they kind of know what they've got. They just can't work out how to get it and they can't work out they need that corporate brain. So in comes the third character who is um the guy that's going to be able to talk the talk and and just sell it to the uh, carriers. Yes. You watch how the world changes in how we went from making phone calls and being chained and being charged for phone calls and how those telephone carriers because they were they were kings and how they were trying to be 
driven by tech companies of how this was all going to work. So when BlackBerry first started, and this just seems so bizarre to think that this was the case, that they there was only a certain amount of Blackberries that could get sold because there was only going to be a certain amount of and space. Bandwidth. Yes, yeah. and bandwidth. And just how that worked. And then and then it was the Blackberry people that kind of worked out how to get how to make that change for the carriers themselves and yeah. how to program that for the carriers. But then it was just there is a moment where Apple comes out with their smartphone and they all realise, oh, they're not talking about minutes, they're talking about data and that everything's about to change. It, it is so good. But I wonder, do I think it's so good because I had a Crackberry, I loved my Crackberry. I didn't want an iPhone because I wanted to play with my Crackberry, but it became yeah. impossible to keep a Crackberry because they just couldn't keep up with yeah. what everybody yeah. else was doing, you know, that they were a dinosaur. But, yes, I think it was $20 billion annually they were making at one stage. That's a lot of yeah. money. Which yeah, which is a lot then. Yes. Which is a lot then. Yes. In the early 2000s, yeah. Okay, and the third thing is the Morning Wars. Season three, Morning Wars, Apple TV. I cannot get enough of it, Nikki. I watched episodes episodes two when they went up in space and I thought, uh-oh, they've jumped the shark. This is going to be really, really bad. This is ridiculous. Then they got me in sort of by episode three and now I'm kind of there where I think they could almost do anything to me and I'd go, okay, <laughs> yeah, of course she was, of course she was in Capitol Hill when the riots happened and of course it was yeah. her brother that that <laughs> yeah, did that did. to the police. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, it is still good. It is still good. I was fascinated by the, oh, am I being a spoiler? If no, I look, say I about mean, a love it, interest. It's out. It's, it's being released. It's yeah. being released weekly. Without, so yeah. I think that, yeah. Yeah, so without spoiling too much, when John Hamm and Jennifer Anson have their, their moment, I thought because, you know, these are people who are in their late 50s having a romantic naked interlude, it was like, okay, well, how are they going to do this, right? They dim the lights, it's almost black. They <laughs> have us with just slight silhouettes of people but I think there was a moment where John Ham has two full hands of Jennifer Aniston's upper body, if you get my drift. And it was like, oh, well, I wonder if that was really her or if that was something that was written into the contract or whatever. It's it's so different, isn't it, when it's older megastars because they both are megastars. Yeah. It's like how much they want it, how much they want it share and how yeah, much let's go do. to the contracts what did you think of morning wars what have you loved about it no i or a lot of the same stuff as same as you like i was listening to people saying oh it's jump the shot like when i was like space come on like really <laughs> um but then it's just, I, I just like that it's sort of like a, a an amplification of what you already think happens and exists yes. in those kinds of situations. So it's sort of like it's it's confirming how bizarre you think it all is. Yes. Um, it's addressing issues. I thought some of the COVID, looking back on COVID stuff, was quite interesting. Yeah, um, you know, um, one of the producers, her boyfriend at the time, went to a bar and came home because he was upset about something, and she's like, "Did you go to a bar?" I 
into three bars and then she just picked up her stuff and walked out the door and slammed and said, don't you leave this apartment, don't endanger people in this building, you know. Yeah. Like and he didn't even have COVID. Well, we don't know. But, yeah. you know, like it was just uh, looking back at how we behaved, how yes. we were reacting to the situation. And, you know, we talk about how we don't really like to do that yet because it's a bit soon. And But I, I think the way that, that those episodes portrayed it, you know, like they were doing the news from Montana, like a house in Montana and just like had their own little setup and yes. were in their own little sort of bubble and world. And then, you know, if you, if you leave that, well, then, you know, you're going into it, you know, you're going out into it and then you can't come back. And there was just a lot of that kind of stuff, which I found sort yes. of, you know, like I, I was ready for it. I wasn't, it wasn't, I wasn't like, oh, this is too soon. I wasn't like, this is ridiculous. I was just like, okay, I'm okay. I, I, I'm I'm here for this. They do it really well, don't they? Because they, yeah. they just surprise you with it. All of a sudden you're back yeah. in COVID. An, an yeah. episode pops up in the middle of the season where you go, oh, hang on, we've gone back in time. And one of the only ways you realise is is one of the characters has now has long hair, not short hair. Yeah. Uh, that was, <laughs> was my first one. The way they did yeah. It, yeah. It was really because I was watching it and I was like, "Have I missed something? Am I doing looking yes. at the wrong season?" Like, that's what's what happened? I thought. I thought I I thought my Apple TV had jolted me back to season two, um, exactly the same. Um, but yes, and you are bang on with the COVID stuff because you're watching it going, "Did we really do that? Yes, we did. We did really do that. We did really think that we lived on that sort of high alert." of yeah being yeah. worried of who was going to bring something in through the front door yeah um yeah it was it, it is really good I've really enjoyed it Nikki what are your three tell me well one of mine is the Beckham documentary I think we've already discussed yeah. it so I won't go into it but but I just do want to say I did I messaged you a couple of weeks ago I was like have you watched it you're like no the kids are here you know I haven't had time but I'm going to get back to it and then all of a sudden it was just like, wow, we've both watched it and really yeah. enjoyed it. So yes. and we talked about how good good sports documentaries are these days. Um, the second thing is uh, I'm enjoying a sh- another show on Apple TV. Um, I don't think it's for you, but it could be for my – I have a very niche listening audience about my TV recommendations, you'll notice, in the group. People do say enjoy my random tv stuff um i think what i'm enjoying about it is it's something that i'm watching with my husband so we are we work together all day not necessarily in the same space but like we're doing all day and then at the end of the day just to switch off we just do an hour of tv and we've started putting this in our in our rotation so it's silo yeah it's um a show on apple tv it's set in a dystopian future where a community exists in a giant underground silo with 144 levels and obviously like all things, the further down you are, the badder you are or the less valuable you are kind of thing. You know, it's a, it's just one of those, you know, you can, if you've ever seen The 100, I think it's you're probably pretty relatable um, and you like The 100. In a dystopian future, a community exists in a giant silo and they don't know why they're living there but they're just bound by all these rules that exist that they don't really know why. So anyway. It's just I don't, and it, but it's got quite a good cast. Tim Robbins is in it, Rashida Jones. Like it's got quite some some um, excellent actors as there as well. So yeah, no, it's a it's a schmicky Apple production. I've actually watched some of it. I no. yes. So my husband watched it because it, and I it must have been you know one of those things where I was here and he was there or whatever. Yeah, I got home and he'd watched an episode and it was like okay, like I'll watch it. 
But then he kind of went off of it. I think he said, God, this is really dark, isn't it? It's really dark. I um, think we had to push about episode four or five. We're like, oh, we're going to keep going. And we have. And uh, so now we're, now we're all go. the way in. So I don't think we, thing. yeah. I reckon we're probably up to four or five. So you, yeah. So you're telling me go back. Does it get any lighter, any happier? Mm, no, because dystopian futures aren't really very happy. It's not a happy place, the dystopian future. Anyway, but it doesn't, it's not, I think you just get sucked into the, yes, in the world. The world. You, and you, I do you want to know. You want to solve the problem, the issues that are there and you yeah, want to know why they happen. The, the issue is, isn't it, that if people go outside, they die. So you want to, yes. you want to know, well, are they really dying? Or what's happening? Correct. Yeah. Because the, in the first episode that really sucks you in, there's a couple and they've been trying to win the lottery to, you know, have a child. Yeah. And, you know, because of, because of the community has to be kept to a certain number, obviously, because we can't be allowing everyone to have children because it's a certain resource, limited resources. Yeah. And that she comes to believe that she's not being dealt fairly. You know, she believes yeah. that they're still stopping her having a child. So she decides to go outside and she says, I think outside is not what we think. And she said, I'll, I'll you know, I'll give you a signal. And then sort of all goes from there. And then so now, and that sucks you in the very first episode. And then you don't sort of, the outside keeps being so far away. And yeah. I think that's what I'm still kind of sticking <laughs> on. Anyway, that's my second thing. My third thing, oh, I've got, a, I don't know, I've got two things. I'll keep one for next time. But I just love... All the podcasts that talk about silent walking. Which week. is basically walking. <laughs> yes. So Gen Z have come up with this new trend. It's <laughs> called silent walking. And it means that you walk without headphones or without your without looking at your phone. You just walk and you look at the nature and you listen to the sounds of the birds Imagine. and the, the trees. Imagine that. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> I just love how because it's usually people like us talking about it and saying, yeah, silent walking. You know, Gen Z have come up with this new thing. It's big on TikTok, silent walking, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, so walking without music or distractions. Like there's a, there's a definition for it if you want to look online. Right. Um, so, and, you know, how the silent walking trend could boost mental health. Right. You know, been, <laughs> you know, so it just makes me giggle because, you know, we, you know, yeah. I mean, walking since yeah. time time immemorial. It's just so indicative that our our lives are so different to our children's lives. But because- also it's so indicative that we we know what's wrong. We know what the problem is. We just yeah. keep choose you know, choosing not to do what we know we have to do. You know, it's that whole thing. Remember your parents told you to get outside and go for a walk? Oh, and they knew My children, my children cannot they're like, I say 15 minutes a day outside. And then my eldest child who is at university and who as a child had a beautiful, they have the most beautiful skin, honestly, very, you know, prone to like tanning you, skin. you've got lovely skin. Told me, told me in a phone call yesterday or the day before, oh, there's a UV warning today. I said, oh, buddy. How did that affect you? Because you're a vampire. It's not like like it's not like the UV is going to get you. And they said to me, "Oh, I borrowed Jack's sunscreen before I walked to uni." I was like, "Are you kidding me? Like you walk for fifteen minutes to uni? Like in in my mind, that's fifteen minutes of sun. You know, because vitamin D things. comes in, and what, like vitamin D comes through your eyes, so it's good to like not wear sunglasses for a little bit of time outside. And all the medical people don't come at me." 
maybe not in Australia, but you know, in Europe, these are it, this is information that you're provided. It's so funny. Et cetera, et cetera. I, I think it's just Australian kids, but they're absolutely Australian kids always know what the UV rating is. My, yeah, all my know. kids do. They all know what the UV rating is. James who who has done the UV this? rating in their life? But yeah. I don't know. But it must be something they learn about at school. But yes. Um, and so these kids that my my kid is living with is telling them, oh, Jamie, it's high UV rating today. So <laughs> be sure to whack on the sunscreen. So actually borrowed someone's sunscreen and went outside anyway to do walking, but not silent walking. And I have to say that I <laughs> always has um, headphones on. I have to say for me, I wear headphones all the time mm. and I find it comforting. I don't like going for a walk without them. Mm. I will stop. I will not go for a walk and I will leave my headphones if they're not charged. I'll put the, my earpods on the charger for 15 minutes before I go. I mix it up with what I need. Okay. So if I'm going on the treadmill at, at the gym, I have to have headphones, right? To make it yeah. feel shorter because it, it yeah. does. It, it makes it half the time. But if I'm walking out of where we are at the beach now, I cough and I take nothing because I love, you know, the sound of the the sound of the beach, the fresh air, the sound of things happening. I hate walking across busy roads with, you know, noise cancelling AirPods in because they are really effective. The latest noise cancelling AirPods are really, really effective. Um, so, but I often know what I require. So, if I am finding that the news of the day is just sort of all too much, and I will give myself a break, you know, by going for a walk and getting a break and having that that silentness, but. You know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you don't know that when you're 20 that you need. You don't because you've never lived your life like that. You've, yeah. you've never lived your life without that. Like mm. the only time was when you were at school, which you thought school was awful. You know, because mm. you had to sit there and learn things. I don't, I don't know. Like I, I feel like those kids have always had headphones on planes. You know, like, oh, like you know, when we travel, mm. it's what the first thing we do. We give each of our kids some headphones so they can yeah. have their own thing so they don't have to, you know, like it stops arguments in the car, you know, mm. ever uh, and like when we were little, we just used to argue in the car and play I Spy, you know, mm. and pinch each other, mm. you know, <laughs> whatever we did. Yeah. You know, and, and as soon as we could do something to – stop that I feel like it, it was our generation of parenting has really embraced that and I think the next generation of parenting like the Y's and the early Z's or whatever they are reverting they're going back to how we oh, were yeah. raised yeah I, but absolutely. I think because we we grew up without any of it and they grew up with it and now they're sort of going back to no we, we won't oh, yeah. have Nikki, All right, have we good done our three things? So are you enthused to do silent walking? Will you be doing some? Well, I think I have to. I mean, I go in the shower and I listen. To, I have an input in the shower. Like I'm a, I'm very, when I'm not, sit, but I have to say in being um, the last three months sitting in an office and I cannot have AirPods in, I can't listen to, like I've, been on a huge steep learning curve and learning lots of things and also dealing with the public on a regular basis so I haven't had anything in my ears all day so it's kind of a treat when I get to do it yeah because I would say till now and in different working environments I've always listened while I've worked etc but here I can't so 
I do, I do do a bit of silent walking around the place during the day, but I, I, I don't know about silent walking at night by myself when I'm doing my big walk. I'm not sure yet. Maybe I'll try, give it a try one time and see how I feel. Yeah, yeah. And if I feel anxious, that means I need to do more of it because I'm totally addicted. So in case anyone else is wondering the same thing, I have to ask. So you shower with an AirPod in. Why don't you just play what you're playing on a speaker? Um, sometimes I do. And sometimes I just keep, uh, if I'm just doing something like making the beds, doing, putting a load of washing in, I'll just have an AirPod in and then I'll just quickly jump in the shower. So you wash your hair with an AirPod in your ear? No, no, that's very annoying. Can't wash my hair with one in. Right. I only wash my hair twice a week though. So but you would have a shower. Two showers out of seven. Can they get that <laughs> wet? Can they? I don't think I knew they could get that wet. Um, I think mine are water. I wear jab, jabras right. and I, I think they're water something resistant. Oh, yeah, whatever. That's good. I wouldn't wear them swimming, but, you right. know, like, and I do. <laughs> anyway. Okay. That's where we're at. Silent walking people, I just thought it was hilarious, so it's one of my favourite things because it's it's now we've coined a term for something that just exists, always has, has existed. <laughs> it is funny. It is very funny. Okay. I will talk to you very soon. Okay, speak to you again soon. Bye-bye. Bye.